the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any tool it the word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Uh, you're listening to The Word to Send on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. All you have to do to get your Bible questions or life questions answered is call us. Dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you uh, are outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call us, use the free KSLR mobile app, uh, and we will get your questions through the producer at the studio. One more time, our main number, 340-9585. 85. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. It was Communion Sunday for us. Um, I want to remind you, as Paula did last week, uh, tonight, ladies, uh, is our starting of the Sweet Summer Devotion Series. Rhoda Pickens uh, is a name to pray for. Uh, you can watch that live stream at calvarysa.com, but it's better to be here. There'll be a lot of ladies here. It's always a great time during the summer. It's the time when the ladies share what God has been doing in their heart. Paula prayerfully picks uh, the nine women who are going to share over the course of the summer. Uh, and I promise you, you will be blessed. Um, just get here. Uh, we also have men's Bible study at the same time tonight. Uh, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley is going to be um, teaching our Bible study for the men. Uh, we have junior high school and high school Bible studies as well. So you can bring the whole family and get everybody taken care of that way. We also have child care available, of course, for some of your younger kids. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Let's get right to questions while we await any phone calls. Here's a question from Kirby in our email inbox. I said, in your sermon in Luke, chapter 14, verse 17, as Jesus references time, you emphasize the importance of the banquet being in the evening. Is that a direct reference to the end times? You said that preparation for a banquet took all day and that the actual time of the banquet could not be determined. I see this time of preparation as our age of grace where God is preparing us for Jesus' return. We know the end times are coming, but we don't know what specific day or hour he's coming. Then when the master calls his servants, let everyone know it's time for the banquet. Would that be the rapture of the church? Uh, would this be a correct interpretation of the passage? Kirby, I think you have to be really, really careful when you're looking at parables not to read in too much. Um, obviously, we can make applications uh, of the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming, uh, and we're going to be coming to the to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But that's not what the parable is about. Now, the reason I made a big deal out of the supper, the the, the NIV calls it a banquet, the King James and New King James calls it a supper. The idea there is that the Greek word is uh, signifying an evening meal. And you have to understand culturally that in those days, they didn't have refrigerators. 
they had to prepare all of their food from scratch so that it would be fresh and safe to eat. So nobody could pinpoint an exact time. They had to wait until everything was ready and prepared. So what happens is the invitations were sent out. The people RSVP'd. They said they were coming. And later, of course, in the parable, they started making excuses about why they couldn't come. And that was an insult to the host of the banquet. Now, the parable, there's always and only one main topic in every parable. And that's why we get off a little bit if we, if we try to apply too much. The main topic here is Jesus. This was a very Jewish parable. I think sometimes we forget the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry, and then we lose the import. Uh, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Uh, so, so the people that were invited are Jews. That's the very direct reference. The people that were invited, the people that claimed with their mouth to belong to God, the people that claimed to uphold the law and did so so zealously in many cases, uh, they were the ones who accepted the invitation. Then when the banquet was ready and the call came for them to to uh, uh, come to the banquet, oh, I can't come now because of this, and they, they had their excuses. Now, the reason that's important in a Jewish context is that John the Baptist, you'll remember, was the forerunner of Jesus' first visit to planet Earth. And he would say continually, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And while they claimed to be waiting for the kingdom of God, uh, the truth of the matter is they really weren't interested in the kingdom that God sent. They were interested in the kingdom of their own making. Now, I think, Kirby, there's a lot better application for us as New Testament Christians. And I tried to comment on this yesterday. But I think that the, the, the application for us that's more appropriate is that we who claim to be Christians, we who say Jesus with our mouth, we, we call him Lord, and yet we don't do what he tells us to do. We call him Lord, we claim to be his, but we're not interested in the things of God. We're not interested in really opening our Bibles and learning who Jesus is. We're not interested in being part of his body, the church. We're not interested in giving or serving all of those things. And yet, just like Jesus' audience yesterday, Just like Jesus' audience yesterday, we claim to belong to him, and then we don't have much at all to do with him as it compares to the world. Now, all the excuses that were made in the parable that we studied yesterday were really lame excuses, I said to our church yesterday. Now, they made perfect sense to the people making them at the time, but that's because sin is insane. Well, our excuses... Our excuses make sense to us. Well, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. It's my only day off. You know, the Bible, I don't really understand it. So, uh, you know, I really don't want to sit down and read it. Holy living. Well, God understands why I sin. God understands why I do things that I do. And we get to the point where we don't resist temptation, all the while still proclaiming that we're believers. And Jesus is going to say in our next study next week, it's even more difficult if you can believe it. He said, tell us what we have to do to be a disciple. Unless we're willing to do that, maybe we ought to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are really, really Christians. So, uh, Kirby, I hope that helps. Um, again, there, there's there's certainly application of the rapture, but that's not what it's about. Um, if we aren't ready today, we won't be ready when the rapture comes. So we need to be ready. Thanks. Great question. Here is my next question. This one comes from Matthew. What does the Bible say about borrowing money? or debt in general. Um, Matthew, it, it, it gives us a lot of principle um, uh, regarding debt. It says we're to owe no man anything except the continuing obligation to love. Now, that Romans verse scares a lot of people who have mortgaged homes or got a loan on a car and think, well, am I out of God's will? No, it just we're supposed to be serious about repaying our debt. So if we borrow money, we have to be able to make sure we can pay it back. So it's very important we understand that. Now, 
The Bible also says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so that means obviously borrowing isn't a good practice to fall into. Now, we do it so casually, uh, whether it's with friends or family, or we go to a bank or a credit union and do it. But the, the, the principle, Matthew, in Scripture is that we have to be um, diligent in repaying any loan that we have. We sign our name or we make an agreement. As Christians, we've got to be people that honor our word. And so as long as you can borrow money, I think before anybody borrows money, they ought to pray and see if that's God's will. I've seen uh, borrowing and lending um, cause people friendships. I've seen it compromise witnesses. So borrowing um, isn't against the word. Uh, it's just borrowing and not repaying. Of course, that is a compromise witness. So it's really important. Let me also say this, Matthew, although your question is about borrowing, I think lending is a bigger issue. Um, you know, we who are Christians typically are generous people. We've been dealt with generously by God and we want to be generous. And so when people come to us and ask us to borrow money, we're usually pretty soft touches. If we have any money, we're usually pretty soft touches. So let me say this. It's my personal practice never to lend anything I need back. If somebody wants to borrow money and I lend it to them, um, I'm, I'm unwilling to lose a friendship over that. I'm unwilling to, to cause a strain in our relationship. So my personal um, policy is never lend anything that I need back. Uh, if somebody needs something and I've got it and I can give it to them and I won't get mad or offended uh, if, if I don't get it back, well, then I just give it to them as a gift. If people end up paying it back, that's between them and the Lord, but it's certainly not something that I would ever expect. The other thing, personally, is I would never remind anybody of something that they owed me. Um, you know, I would leave that, again, between them and the Lord. Uh, and I think that way, if we are generous and our generosity uh, is repaid by God, then that will be sufficient to us. But again, lending money, borrowing money has cost people a lot of friendships. It's cost people a lot of compromised witnesses. And, um, you know, those two things in particular are way too valuable, way too valuable to risk for money. So, Matthew, I hope that helps. Don't uh, borrow money that you aren't sure that you can repay. Um, and when you do borrow money, Everything ought to be a business transaction if that's the way it's set up. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jesse. He says, uh, should we be baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Jesse, it really doesn't matter. Now, you're, you're probably coming from a, a oneness church, and they make a really, really big deal of this. And I mean a really big deal. Um, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They're called oneness or Jesus only movements. Um, and and that's to miss the point altogether. Jesus himself said that we're to go and make disciples. And we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say, go baptize them in my name. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're on really solid ground if we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, Jesse, and this is a hard thing to communicate to people, um, there's no competition between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you baptize somebody in the name of Jesus, it's the same thing. They are all one, three persons, but one God. And God isn't up there taking a, a, a tally, you know, about how many times you pray to Jesus, or how many times you pray to the Father, how many times you pray to the Holy Spirit, or what name you're baptized in. He just wants you to be baptized in obedience to what God has asked us to do. And so Jesse, baptism is very important. It, it's not a salvation issue, as some uh, try to make it out to be. But it is a very, very important obedient issue. Um, every year, Jesse, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but every year we have a, 
uh, uh, one huge baptism out at the river in the summer. We'll be doing it again, I think, in August this year. Um, and, um, um, you know, we'll have hundreds of people out there, and um, usually I'm in the water two to three hours. It's really a neat time. Um, and so if you haven't been baptized, come and be baptized. And I will baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just the way Jesus told me to do it. But remember, God isn't like humans. We don't argue about things. God is one. There's perfect unity between the three persons of our triune God. And you can just be baptized and do it for God's glory. Hope that helps, Jesse. Thank you very, very much. Um, Renee asks, uh, Pastor Ron, do you think there's only one person that God has for us as a spouse? Um, Renee, I don't. I, I think you're probably referring, I think we had a question that was not too dissimilar from this a um, couple of weeks ago about a soulmate. If that's what you're thinking about, there's only one person God has. From God's perspective, he knows who you're going to marry. So at least from that perspective, the answer is yes, there's only one person. And when you marry that person, you're supposed to stay married to him or, or uh, if you're a male, to her. Um, you promise God that you're going to do that, and there's only one. But that doesn't mean, Renee, that there's only one person that we can fall in love with. There's a lot of attractive people out there, and there's a lot of people that you could make connections with. Um, I have got friends who, after long, long-term marriages, lost a wife and remarried, uh, and they found somebody, and they never thought they would be happy again, and and yet this person was placed in their life by God himself, and and so there's there's not just one person. There's not just one appointment for marriage. It's just that God knows who you're going to marry. Now, let me say this, and this is the most important thing to remember, Renee. When you do marry somebody, that's the one. The person you're married to now. And I've had, unfortunately, men and women both come to me and say, well, I married the wrong person because I met my soulmate online and, and to say, no, 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 this is your soulmate. This is the one that you promised God you would stay married to. And unfortunately, our flesh is such that people often don't listen when they've started down that road. They've already begun the process of divorce. And so the one person that God has for you, he knows. But from your perspective, that could be anybody. So, Renee, if, as I think your question suggests, you're single and you're wondering if somebody's the right one, if somebody loves Jesus, and if they love you, and if you're equally committed in your service to Jesus, then go ahead and marry. Go ahead and marry that person, because together, God will make the two of you one. So, I hope that makes sense to you. God always knows everything, so he knows who we're going to marry. But there's lots of people, Renee, that we could fall in love with. Just make sure that when you fall in love, this man that you're going to fall in love with is a man uh, that loves Jesus. I always tell the ladies here, uh, don't settle for somebody who doesn't love Jesus more than you do. And if you love Jesus, you say, well, I love Jesus so much, I could never find anybody who loves him more. Let God do the searching for you. Because he's got that man waiting for you. And uh, he's the one that's going to be the spiritual head of the house. So make sure, make sure, Renee, that the guy that you fall in love with loves Jesus more, even than he loves you. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Jeremy says, why do we confess our sins to God if he knows everything already? Well, Jeremy, the word confess First uh, John 1 9, if you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. The word confess means to agree. It's not just the words. You know, we unfortunately live in a Catholic culture and, and people go to confession. That's not what it means. When we confess that we've sinned, we're agreeing with God two things. First, that it is sin. That's when we can say, I'm really sorry, God. I repent. I'm I don't want to do that anymore. The second thing that we agree on is that we can't do that anymore. 
That's going to be a way of life that we put behind us, that we don't look forward any longer to doing those kind of things. And our problem with, with um, confession, as it's understood in the Catholic Church and some other traditions, Orthodox tradition, or, or uh, in some cases the Episcopal or the Anglican tradition, we look at confession like, okay, I got it off my chest, and now everything is going to be okay. No, we, we're agreeing with God. And we confess then, Jeremy, we agree with him because then he's able to purify us from all unrighteousness. That means instantly our fellowship with God is reestablished. There's nothing separating us from the fullness of his love. And if we just confess our sin with our mouth but don't intend to stop sinning, well, then we haven't really confessed at all because there's no agreement with God. So that's why we confess him. Does God know everything that we do? The answer is, of course he does. But God, remember, is the initiator of a restored relationship every single day. God is the initiator. He's the one who, when we sin and are separated from God in terms of fellowship, he's the one who pursues. He's the one that by the power of his spirit, he's the one that's convicting you so that you can return to him. And one of the things I love most about God, Jeremy, is that when I mess up, all I have to do is say, God, I hate that I did that. I don't want to do it anymore. And his response is always, forgiven, let's move on. And then there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to live a life without being condemned, without being under the weight of overwhelming guilt is a magnificent place to be. Paula often says, my favorite thing about God is his forgiveness. And he offers that forgiveness every single day, no matter what you've done. And that, Jeremy, is why we confess. Good question. Greg says, what is the difference in the function of pastors and elders? Uh, Greg, I'm going to give you two answers, in a biblical answer and then sort of a cultural example um, in the world that we live in. The first difference um, in the function of pastors and elders biblically is there isn't any. When, when Paul says to Timothy, appoint elders in the churches, he's not talking about multiple elders in a church. He's talking about the multiple churches in a region. Remember, they were house churches, and they were spread out all over a region. And, and he would say, you've got people meeting, go appoint elders. That word also is translated overseers. Um, it describes the office that we call pastor. So it is the, the, the man responsible for teaching the Bible. It's the man responsible for for feeding the flock, for tending the flock. Remember when Jesus restored Peter, he said, feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my sheep. And that's the function of a pastor biblically. So elders biblically and elders culturally are different things. Now, culturally, and let me address that because that's um, something that can be a little confusing. Um, We live in a country where if we're going to offer uh, tax breaks for people that give, we register as a 501c3 organization. Um, to do that, to incorporate with the state, um, we have to have a board of directors or uh, an elder board or something like that. And in our culture, the role of elders has come to mean something completely different than Paul intended uh, when he was writing the pastoral epistles. Um, um, my elders serve as my board of directors. Um, they are not pastors. Now, all of them have the gift to teach. Um, all of them are deeply involved in the function of the church. Um, they care deeply about the, the people who are here, and so they are, are helpers uh, in overseeing the needs of the people. When your church gets large, um, you know, the pastor simply can't, even even a group of pastors can't minister to everybody. Well, one of the reasons that we have elders uh, is to make sure that, that uh, people's needs don't go unmet. Um, but, but the larger role that elders seem to have in church governments now uh, in this country uh, is that they are um, a de facto board of governors or board of directors. 
uh, they're the ones who, who uh, if I say something crazy like, let's have a free school, uh, they're the ones who say, okay, we're with you, or no, we can't have a free school. So they're the ones who make those kinds of decisions. So that's the difference biblically. That's the difference culturally. Um, remember the pastor uh, is um, the, 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 the head of the church. Uh, Jesus, the, the, the head, but the pastor sort of the under-shepherd. Uh, and that's the role that they play. So, Greg, thanks for the question. Hey, we're almost at the end of this first half of the program. You should hear the music at any moment. Uh, phones have been quiet. We'd love to start the week off with your phone calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Let me repeat that this is a live program. I repeat that because at the top of our program today, um, uh, there was an error. The recording said it's a pre-recorded program. I promise I'm here live, and we'd love to take your phone calls at 340-9585. Here is a question from Kevin. He says, I know we can't, cannot lose our salvation, but can we lose eternal rewards in heaven? Uh, Kevin, the answer is yes, we can, and we will, in fact, lose uh, eternal rewards in heaven for things that we did with the wrong motive or things that we... Uh, we did um, or, or failed to do in obedience to the Lord. Uh, if God says to do something and we say no, if our faith fails, then of course there's going to be rewards that will be taken from us and given to other people who are successful. Now, I, I, I started with that, Kevin, because um, I, I often think, now, I'm not trying to figure God out. It's one of those things that we can't do, but but but. We had on Friday, uh, it was our 24th birthday as a church. And I just think it's sort of strange. You know, God sent uh, me, a white guy, and Paula, a black woman, uh, to a city that's 60% Hispanic. Um, Why would he need us? And I often think that, you know, um, I'm the beneficiary of somebody else's failure. I mean, we weren't from Texas. We'd never been to Texas. I think, well, maybe somebody else was here that was called and they didn't remain faithful. And so God sent us. Now, if that's the case, when I get to heaven and stand through the reward seat of the Lord, not only am I going to receive rewards for what I've done, but I'm also going to receive rewards that were intended for somebody else. And yet they weren't faithful to do what God told them to do. Or maybe they started well and they didn't finish well. Um, so so I think when we get to heaven, we're all going to find ourselves um, standing in that Bema seat of Christ. And it is in that place, Kevin, where we're going to see what we did, our rewards, our works, or rather, are going to be tested. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 talks about that test. And when we Get there, we'll find out what we did well, what we didn't do well, what we did with the right motive, the right heart, and what we did with the wrong motive or the wrong heart. So we will lose rewards in heaven. Let me deal with what you said, and I like the certainty. You said, I know we cannot lose our salvation. This is a really difficult issue in the church, Kevin. Um, but but we, we always need to remember to get our doctrine from Scripture. We need to get our doctrine from Scripture. And the definitive statement, and there are many, many more, but the definitive statement about whether or not one can lose their salvation comes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, where we're told that God gives us believers the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. People say, what about all the other verses 
that say we can lose our salvation. Kevin, there isn't one verse in the Bible that tells you you can lose your salvation. There are verses that people misread that way. The enemy always wants us to doubt our security in Christ. We like to think as believers sometimes that, well, you know, God began a good work, but I have to finish it. But that's not what the scripture says. It said he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so what we have to really, really do is understand that when God gives us a promise, it's a promise he cannot take back. Now the problem, as we see all the time, is that we all know people who started out so well, they gave their heart to Jesus, at least that's when it appeared, but they just didn't last. And a year goes by, or two years, or ten years goes by. And they just completely abandon the faith. And we like to have an answer. Well, he must have lost his salvation, or God took it away. First John 2.19 says that they went out from us because they were never part of us. And that epistle is written with Judas, even after all those years. Judas, fresh in John's mind. How did we not know that he was the betrayer? So you're right, Kevin. We cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose eternal rewards. And we'll find out when we get to heaven and our works are judged. 340-9585. Let's go to Donna on line one from San Antonio. Donna, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I have a question mm-hmm. about your clinic. I had a, huh? a little young friend that needed to go to the doctor. She didn't have insurance. She didn't have. She was just panicking. And I knew of your clinic, but I don't know enough about it, other than where it's located, to tell her what she needs to do. Uh, all she needs to do, Donna, is show up or call and make an appointment. Uh, I'm embarrassed I don't have their phone number right handy with me, but um, uh, it's called Malta Medical. Uh, It is a a full... M-O-L-T-A? M-A-L-T-A. M-A-L-T-A, okay. Yeah, and it's a functioning ministry of... Yeah, it's a functioning ministry of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. It's not just an emergency clinic. It is a, a, a fully staffed and fully stocked family practice uh, operation. We have a husband and wife who are doctors. We have a pediatrician uh, who is on staff. We have a physician's assistant. We've got a bunch of uh, RNs and, and uh, there. And so, so we've got wonderful people there. Um, but it's absolutely okay. free, no insurance. Um, and and um, your situation is the kind of situation uh, that uh, that we we have our our clan for. I do have the phone number now. Thank God, my my producer gave it to me. It's two one zero seven seven five zero two seven seven. So two one zero zero two seven seven. Yes, that's correct. So call right, and make an appointment. You. I will get that and, information to her. Okay. Thank you, and Donna, tell her that that uh, when you call or when she calls, tell her that that they called the radio program and I made the referral, okay? Okay, we can do that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donna. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. You know, I love, I absolutely love Donna's call um, because, you know, most people would think, well, what in the world is a church uh, doing with the doctor's office? Um We've been open now. This is our sixth year. We're almost done with our sixth year. I think, I think at least, or no, five and a half years. And we've seen uh, in excess now of 26,000 patients. 90% of them come from outside our church. Somebody gets saved at Malta Medical virtually every day. Now, when I say virtually, there are some days that miss, but everybody gets prayed for. Everybody gets the gospel shared, and it's amazing to see how God has prepared their hearts, and it costs absolutely nothing. It is a ministry that is funded 100% by the generosity of uh, our church body here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and they do so without ever being asked to give a penny. We never let our needs be known. We don't ask anyone for money. And uh, believe me, any ministry where somebody gets saved nearly every day is a ministry that that Christians would die for. And 
we're just really, really thrilled. So thank you, uh, Donna, for calling. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio on line two. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, and this is the part I really want you to expound on, God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, does that have anything to do with, like, God sets our day up every day, and we have a choice to do things, you know, that he, that he wants us to do. Does it have anything to also do with, like, um, chance situations, like where you know that your window of time has been like one second that you were in this one place and somebody else was in this one place and it was something that God worked out, you know, to have something, um, or, you know, just have something work out where you know it had to have been God working this whole situation out. I'm not talking about any situation, just, you know, in, as an example. But if you would expound on that, God prepared in advance for us to do part, I'd appreciate that, and I'll just listen on the radio. Okay, Cindy, before you hang up, uh-huh. um, I know you're coming I know you're coming to Sweet Summer Devotions tonight. Give, yeah. give us just a, a, a quick explanation to the people who've never he- under, uh, heard about Sweet Summer Devotions. Why should people come and listen to the Sweet Summer Devotion series? Oh, wow. Well, because the ladies who talk, the situations that they've talked about quite often, it's a situation that you could have been in in your life, and, and it can help guide you through trusting the Lord and also just to see how good God is. And it's always very interesting because some of these ladies, you would never know looking at them now the situation they were in before uh, Jesus changed their life. I mean, I see no hint of any of the things, the former things in, in some of these ladies that you'd go, wow, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> but it, it was fascinating, too. It, it's so fascinating. Thank so you for that, Cindy. I appreciate it. And, and I like Monday night. It, it's just getting together. It, it, it's just neat. I just like it. Cool. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it. I'll answer your question now. Thank you for calling. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, it's such a great passage. Um, I actually do one whole Bible study on this passage when we're in the book of Ephesians. But but we're God's workmanship. Um, and this isn't the part Cindy asked about, but to understand what this means, um, we're, we're God's, the, the Greek word is poema. We get our English word poem from it. And really what it's saying is that we're, each of us individually, we are his creative work of genius. We're the best thing, humans are the best thing he's ever done. And when he says he takes this magnificent work that he's done, I know most of us don't feel like we're the best thing God's ever done and we keep messing up and we're certainly a lot harder on ourselves than God is. But the idea here is that God has called you and he's called me and he's gifted us with the spiritual gifts to do the things that he's prepared for us to do. That doesn't mean that um, we can only do those things. It means that whatever we encounter, we're ready for. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're ready for. And so when, when we run into situations that are offsetting to us or or worrisome to us, or at times they seem overwhelming, Jesus will just look you in the eye and he'll say, no, I've got you. I've got you. And the confidence we have, Cindy, is that whatever we come into, we're ready for. Even if we feel unready, even if we feel overwhelmed, Jesus is there. And not by might, nor by power, by his spirit, we're ready to do those things. Now, the other idea here that you suggested this chance meetings i don't believe in chance i think that god is orchestrating our lives now that doesn't mean he's making us do things but the man or the woman who's walking in the will of god remember when the apostle paul said do not quench the holy spirit so many of us are quenching the work the spirit wants to do he's got a plan he's the active ingredient he's the power agent for these things And when we're quenching the spirit, it's like we're cutting off our source of power. And that's when we end up not being able to do some things. And to answer another question that we had earlier, that's when we're going to lose some rewards. But if we're walking with Jesus, if we're in his will, 
then there's nothing that he will bring along our path that we're not able to do in a way that brings honor and glory to him. It doesn't mean we're going to have success. It means that we are there to do the work that he's prepared for us, for us to do. I think it's also, Cindy, important to understand that while he's preparing, already prepared the works that we're going to do, uh, God knows, um, for example, I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. He knows where I'm going to be and what work I'm going to be doing a year from now. I don't have any idea, but he knows. And here's what I can know. I can know that he's also preparing me for that year from now work he's prepared for me to do. So it's completely up to God. His sovereignty, his power, his marvelous daily grace. All I have to do is be with him and I'm ready for whatever comes my way. I love that. You know, I was called to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel San Antonio long before I was ever a Christian. When I first knew I was called to be a pastor, I had no idea about Texas or anything at that point. When I was called to come to San Antonio and start this church, I thought, Lord, if you've ever made a mistake, this is it. Who am I to do this? As I said earlier, we have our 24th birthday this past Friday. And God prepared this for me, and he prepared me for this. And that's the poem that gets brings God so much glory in heaven. If we believe him, if we take steps of faith, he'll walk us into situations that we're ready to for and will accomplish things that we never dreamed possible. It is a great, great promise to all of us. Thank you, Cindy, for that very, very much. Here is a question from Grace. I like that name, Grace. My friend says that if I don't speak in tongues, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she says, I don't speak in tongues with a sad face. Grace, your friend doesn't know what she's talking about. Don't listen to your friend. Listen to the Bible. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Now, I want to be clear. I think God would give everybody the gift of tongues. I think he wants us to. I say that based on the Apostle Paul's words. He said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. It's a wonderful gift and it makes our makes our intimacy with God all that much greater. It's a vertical gift. It's just between me and the Lord. And so the gift of tongues is a great gift, but God understands that not everybody's going to have the faith to receive a gift that doesn't make sense. I know people that would love to speak in tongues, but they just can't get over that. Well, it doesn't make any sense because I can't understand it. I ask him, I say, just ask for more faith. Trust God with what you don't understand. It's just hard for some. So clearly not everybody speaks in tongues. But as a believer, Grace, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, period. There's no defect in your faith. It's just a matter of, it's not a gift that you're exercising, at least not now, and don't work. Can I tell you a quick story, Grace? When I first got saved, um, brand new Christian, I was, we were going to all kinds of churches, and there were some really goofy churches, some prosperity churches that we were going to. I needed money, and uh, those pastors were telling me that God wanted me to have it. Um. And and um, they were talking about the gift of tongues, and, and I received the gift of tongues almost uh, right away, within, within, I think, the first week or two, uh, if, if I remember correctly. Uh, I received the gift of tongues from the Lord. I didn't understand it, but I, I, I just felt like it was um, um, a gift that God had given me, and because God gave me the gift, I wanted to exercise it, and I did. Well... To my shame, in one of those goofy churches I took Paula to, at the end of a message one day, they were giving an invitation, several of them, in fact, one of them was to be a member of the church, one was to get saved, 
One was to get filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the gift of tongues. And Paula hadn't yet received the gift of tongues. And she was so upset because she thought, well, Ron has the gift of tongues. And his church was teaching that if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so she went forward to receive the gift of tongues. And they took her into a room and they tried to sort of prime the pump and force her to speak in tongues and pushing on her forehead and uh, making her repeat after me. And, and, And it was so strange for Paula. It was scary for her, so she she just finally faked it so she could get out of there. Now, I put her through that. I was a young Christian. I didn't know much better, but but I knew that wasn't right. She was upset because she still didn't have the gift of tongues. I came home one evening from work, and Paula had run a bath where she'd been sitting in the bathtub at apparently for a very, very long time. And just for however long that was, just tongues flowing from her. And that was just God meeting her at her place of need. Did she need the gift of tongues? No, but she wanted it. And because she was afraid that something was wrong with her because she didn't have it, God met her. So Grace, your sad face here, Suggest that you want to give tongues. Let me ask you just to ask God for it. Receive it in faith. Don't wait for God to make something happen. Every gift that we get from God, we have to receive by faith. That means if God makes you a promise, and by the way, this is a promise he's made. If he's made you a promise, take this step of obedience. Just start making some noise. And let the Holy Spirit have his way. And like Paula, you'll one day see how wonderful a gift it is. Your friend is wrong, Grace. 340-9585. Anthony asked the question, um, what is spiritual formation and should we practice it? Um, Anthony, here's a question I've never had before. Uh, Spiritual formation uh, is sort of, um, and I don't mean anything demeaning by this when I say it, but I don't know how how better to describe it. It's sort of a ritualistic approach to your relationship with God. Um, Spiritual formation is in in denominations, um, in in some really conservative groups, um, Anglicans, or Episcopalians, um, uh, Orthodox or Catholic. It's sort of the practice of morning and evening prayers. Uh, it's, it's reciting a prayer. There's different prayers for different days, but there's always a morning prayer and an evening prayer. And it's reading those prayers out loud and the idea that, that we are spiritually being formed into the image of God by those prayers. Now, obviously, Anthony, it's something that I'm not in agreement with. I don't think there's anything wrong, of course, with morning or evening prayers. I think when we get ritualistic in our prayers, uh, then the prayers cease to have value. Um, Jesus warned against repetitive prayers. Uh, I think um, a better way to be spiritually formed, I say it all the time, is just be with Jesus. So, um, studying the catechisms or reading the morning and evening prayers uh, is is a religious exercise that can have some value if it's done with the right heart. But the problem is anything that we do over and over, anything that we repeat is something that loses its value. And Anthony, what I would suggest that you do instead is begin practicing the presence of Jesus. That's real spiritual formation. If you want to know what Jesus is like, hang out with him. Spend some time with him. Yeah, we need to study our Bibles. Yes, we need to dig into the Word and rightly divide it. But we forget, sometimes we we can get really good at reading our Bible and then leave Jesus at home. And the way to really be transformed into the image of God is to spend time with Jesus. Act like he's really there because he is. You can't see him and you can't hold his hand, but act like he's there. I say you can't hold his hand, but I hold his hand every morning when I when I 
take off from the house. But you see, practice the presence of the Lord. That's the way to grow in your faith, to grow in the knowledge of who God is, and to grow in the knowledge of his will. So that's what spiritual formation is. Um, I, I don't see a lot of value as it's practiced by those denominations that practice it. How much time? Okay, I got... Oh, here's one I can do in with less than two minutes. Here's one. It's from PETA. She says, what does it mean to be saved through childbearing in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15? Let me read it. It says, women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Um, one minute, PETA. Nobody knows what it means. Remember, this is a passage of Scripture where it starts, I do not permit women to teach or have authority over a man meaning a woman can't be a pastor. So what does this mean? People have been arguing for 2,000 years over what this means, and nobody knows. My best take on it is that God is saying, though you can't be a pastor, though you can't have authority over a man in the home or in the church, you walk in the middle of my perfect rule for you, and your life is going to be rich in spite of it. So that's the best take, but nobody knows, Peter. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Sorry for the technical problems. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Ladies, remember, Sweet Summer Devotion starts tonight. Rhoda Pickens will be sharing your heart, and you will be blessed. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at AM 630, The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.